Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papa Toi Toi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. All right, good morning church. How's everybody doing today? Good? Awesome. All right, uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Fitzalore Bryce and um, I'm one of the leaders here in this church and it's an honor for me to bring the word this morning. And so today I will be talking to you about, um, we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and today I'll be bringing the Sixth Commandment, which is do not murder. So turn to your neighbor and say, do not murder. (laughs) I know, pretty serious, eh? but let's just, you know, let's just loosen up a bit here before we begin. Anyway, I wanted to start with a story before I began my sermon. It's a funny story. Please laugh at the end. And um, also it's Um, just a joke, so please don't take it too seriously. But uh, there was an elderly lady that was coming to church. She was new to that particular church. And the usher that saw her from afar saw her coming. He didn't recognize her. Now, this particular usher forgot his name tag at the time. All the ushers there wear name tags so people can uh, know their name. Anyway, this usher didn't wear it, but he saw this old lady coming towards the church. He didn't recognize her, but with a big smile, he said, welcome to church. It's so good to see you. We're so happy to have you here. And the old lady looked at him and she said, young man, I wish to sit right in the front. Take me right to the front because I want to listen to the sermon. And then the usher looked at her and said, oh, ma'am, I don't think you want to sit in the front because the pastor tends to, he tends to scream all the time. He tends to be so loud, and sometimes he spits on the people. So I don't think you want to sit in the front. I think you want to sit in the middle. And also, the pastor can be a bit boring, so you might fall asleep. So you might want to sit in the middle so you don't get caught. Then the old lady looked at him, and she said, Young man, do you know who I am? I am the pastor's mother. And then immediately, the usher hung his head down. And then he said, Ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, No. Oh, thank God. And so he moved away. <laughs> moved away and got another usher to take her to the front. Anyway, good. I'm glad I just loosened you up there. Anyway, so today we are talking about the Sixth Commandment, Do Not Murder. And we're looking at the book of Exodus chapter 20. We've gone through the other commandments, which is, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself a carved image. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Oops, sorry. The fourth one, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And the fifth one, which Ulu did last week, honor your parents. And today I will be talking to you about the sixth commandment, do not murder. Okay. So we're looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, when we hear this commandment, Usually we think, oh, this is the easiest commandment for me to, be, to obey. That's how I used to look at it. Because I've never murdered anyone. I have not killed anyone, and I'm not going to kill anyone. So I'm doing pretty good. But today we're going to look very closely at why God gave this particular law. And what did Jesus say about this command? We're going to really look closely and unpack what did God mean when he said, do not murder. So with, with this particular command, God is protecting the sanctity of life because, because God loves his people. And the Lord wants his people to know the value and sacredness of human life. So why does God prohibit the sin of murder? Why is murder wrong? 
And this leads me to my first point. Because, man, because God has made man in his image, the image of God. So why is murder wrong? Murder is wrong because it destroys the image of God in man. You see, God is the author of life. He is sovereign over all human life. So, you know, biblical thinking lies behind this command where we understand that man was made in the image of God. We bear the likeness of the Lord. We are his image bearers. bearers. But evolutionary thinking is very different. People who have an evolutionary theory believe that humans are just exactly the same as animals. They believe that human beings are just lucky animals, products of random chance. But you see, God created the, when he made the whole earth, he created the birds of the air, the fish in the sea. And then he created man and woman. And if you read the scripture, it says, he said, let us make man in our image. So he did not actually say, let us make animals in our image. He only said, let us make man in our image. So human beings are the only human species that actually bear the likeness of God. So humans occupy a space below God, beneath God, and above the animals. And I truly believe that human beings hold a much higher value than animals. Whereas people who believe in evolution believe that we hold the same value as animals, but I don't believe that. I'll give you a perfect example. Well, you know, I grew up with, with dogs before I, if you don't know, I was actually born and raised in Fiji before I moved here to New Zealand. And growing up as a little girl, I always, uh, we always had two dogs with us. And I love animals and I believe we shouldn't be cruel to them. We should actually love them. But I don't believe we have the same value as them. Now, how many of you know Matthias in this, in this church? Little Matthias, the beautiful little two-year-old that runs around here so confident. Yes, Matthias, everyone loves that child. Anyway, his auntie is Asanati, and she lives with me and um, five other girls in our house. And so she brings Matthias over all the time. And Matthias walks into our house, and all the girls are like, Matthias! Straight away, we want to feed him, we want to cuddle him, we want to play with him. And he's so confident, he just walks in, and he goes, hi, auntie, hi, auntie. And so he's only two, but he's so confident around us. And so he comes over all the time. And so I don't believe that animals have the same value as humans, because if, for example, I had to look after Matthias in our house by myself, and all the girls had gone. And if we had a dog, that would be great. Matthias can play with the dog, and all is well. But if there was a fire... I would be thinking straight away to save Matthias and not the dog, all right? So humans do not have the same value as animals. If I could save both, that will be great. But if it came down to a choice, I will not have a dog anymore. Does that make sense? So animals do not hold the same value as humans because human life, where we are made in the image of God, why is it that when you run over an animal, say, for example, you're driving and you run over an animal, the state police is not involved? But if as soon as you hit a human being, then, we, then you're in serious trouble. So see, animals and humans do not hold the same value. We hold a much higher value. We are made in the image of God. The second point that I have today, the gift of life. Why does God prohibit the sin of murder? 
It's because murder abruptly terminates human life. So in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So life is a gift from God. The commandment, this commandment rests on the principle that human life is holy, first because it is God's gift. Human life is thus the most precious and sacred thing in the world, and to end it is God's prerogative alone. So we honor God by respecting the image, respecting his image, sorry, in each other, which means consistently preserving life and furthering each other's welfare in all possible ways. So murder is evil because life itself is a gift from God. There is a Hebrew word called ratzak, and that means to murder. And that word ratzak refers to the premeditated taking of the life of another human being. It includes any unauthorized killing. So you see, murder is an intentional thing, and it is a violent taking of somebody's life. So this particular commandment, do not murder, is aimed at the sanctity of human life in the eyes of the Lord. But where does human life begin? If human life is so valuable, the fact that you are breathing and alive today, it's because that is a gift from the Lord. The fact that you opened your eyes and that you can breathe today, that is a gift from the Lord. But where does life begin? Life begins at conception. So then what about abortion? See, the question, the issue here is not about choice. The issue here is about murder. Where does life begin? I want to read a quote from a professor from Princeton, Robert P. George, professor from Princeton, former member of the President's Council on Bioethics. Human embryos are not some other type of animal organism like a dog or a cat. Neither are they part of an organism like a heart, a kidney, or a skin cell. Nor again are they a disorganized aggregate, a mere clump of cells awaiting some magical transformation. Rather, a human embryo is a whole living member of the species Homo sapiens in the earliest stage of his or her natural development. Unless severely damaged or denied or deprived of a suitable environment, a human being in the embryonic stage will, by directing its own integral organic functioning, develop himself or herself to the next more mature development stage, i.e. the fetal stage. The embryonic fetal child and adolescent stages are stages in the development of a determinate and enduring entity, a human being who comes into existence as a single-celled organism, the zygote, and develops if all goes well, into adulthood many years later. But does this mean that the human embryo is a human person worthy of a full moral respect? Must the early embryo never be used as a mere means for benefit of others simply because it is a human being? The answer is yes. It may be a little person, but it still is a human being made in the image and likeness of God. Where does life begin? Life begins at conception. And here are some scriptures that point to God's truth that life begins at conception. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You know, the interesting thing about the word sin and sinners is God only uses the term sinner for people, not animals, human beings. There are two major prophets in the Bible, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Two of these major prophets, both from the Old Testament, received their calling from the mother's womb. In Isaiah, it says, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. There's another familiar scripture that most of you know. I don't have it up here. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. Before you were formed in the mother's womb, I knew you. I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. So you see, God already knew you from the womb. Psalm 139, verse 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There are many other scriptures. John, Jeremiah 1, 5, I said, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So you see, God called the prophets from their mother's womb. And he was very much involved in the knitting of that child. There are many aspects of conception growth that the metal medical world does not fully yet understand. We are continuing to explore and still have a lot to learn. But God knows and God sees. He sees that we are sinners in need of a Savior. He can see that and he sends his Holy Spirit to regenerate us from the womb. And he can call us to a life of ministry from the womb. This means that just because the child is not yet born... And, may, and be, just because they are not yet born and the child doesn't have a relationship with their mother and father yet does not mean that God the Father doesn't have a relationship with that unborn child. He is still very much involved and he has a relationship with that unborn child. So life is a gift from God. And human life is valuable right from the womb. You know, I think about my own life and how I'm standing here before you. And I was like, man, even before I was formed in my own mother's womb, God knew that I'd be standing here today to bring you some truth. Even before I was here, God had written out my destiny, and that is the same thing with you. You are sitting here today from the womb. God already knew that you would be positioned here today to hear his truth. And God has a calling and a destiny on every single person here from the womb. Even before you came out, God already knew. And so even though we're talking about this, commandment, do not murder, I really believe everything starts right from this last point, which is the heart of man. Where does murder come from? Murder is an evil outworking coming from the heart. It's interesting because Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and so forth. You see, murder involves more than just killing. Murder is more than a physical act of the flesh. It is an attitude of the heart. I mentioned before in that Hebrew word, ratzak, it is a premeditated thought. But this is what the Bible also says. Matthew 5, 21 to 24 or before that, you know, most of the time when we read this commandment, we think to ourselves, 
I'm good. I have not murdered anybody physically. I have not physically killed anybody. I have not stood in court. I am innocent on this one. I'm good with you, God. But when we boil down to the scriptures and what Jesus said today, this actually applies to us. Matthew 5. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother will be sub subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see, God's standard is much higher than our standard. We think, oh, I'm good. But when you stand before God, his standard is a lot higher than yours. And just because you haven't physically murdered anybody, that does not mean you escape this particular judgment. If you hold anger towards somebody, you will hold the same judgment as a murderer. That's a very high, high thing from the Lord. You know, this word raka, it's an Aramaic word. And it actually means you empty-headed, senseless, worthless, stupidity. That's what it means. Numbskull. It means you're stupid in the head. That's what it means. And so all the way back in the day, Jesus is saying, even if you say that to somebody, you are subject to murder. So you know what this tells me? This tells me that Jesus is totally concerned about what is going on inside of our heart, the condition of our heart. Jesus explicitly names murder, doesn't begin with murder. It begins with ideas. It begins with words. It begins with insults and sarcasm. Words spoken in an angry, bad-tempered voice. Words that are shameful and ridicule or degrade another person. Oh, I have a scripture here I haven't put up there. It's 1 John chapter 3, and it says, everyone who, is a, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what John is saying here is totally about hating somebody. He refers to not loving them. So Jesus' supreme concern is what is going on in the condition of your heart. You know, I've had my share of testing in regards to this. Just because I'm standing here talking to you does not mean I'm a perfect person. God always takes me through something before I have to explain it to the church. And so I have gone through my own sh fair share of people that have insulted me, people that have hurt me, people that have, have betrayed me, and it hurt me to the core. And you know what's the quickest way you can find out that you have hurt and that you are angry with someone is when their name is mentioned in a conversation. As soon as their name is mentioned, it's this thing that just ruins your day. And as soon as their name is mentioned, you have nothing to say but evil things about them. Oh, I don't like what she's wearing. Oh, who cares about that person, you know? As soon as their name is mentioned, there, there's this thing inside your heart that just ticks off with anger. Now, here's the thing. The key to letting go of that is actually to forgive that person. Now, I know people are sitting in here that where people have actually wronged you. People have actually done things to hurt you. But some of you are sitting here that are, and you're still holding on 
to that anger. And God is probably showing you their faces right now as I'm speaking. You know what the key is? The key is to forgive. Because the opposite of hate is love. God is all about love. We heard it in the royal wedding last night. That preacher was so on fire and he was preaching about love. But that's the truth is love is actually what is going to bring reconciliation. Love is why God sent his son Jesus to die for us. You know, the Bible says that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in your rebellion, God still sent his son to die for you. Even though we're holding, we may be holding anger and bitterness, well, today is the day that you need to let it go. The key is to forgive. In Matthew 5, 23, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. You know, hatred is a, is a real thing. And it's awesome that we can be in here. We're like, we worship you, Lord. We praise you. And then as soon as you leave here, somebody does something wrong to you, and it stings you, and then you hold on to that anger. But each day, God wants us to come and give it to him. You know, some, some things have happened to you that have actually really affected and changed the course of your life. There are some things that have really damaged you, and may, that's why you're angry. And you easily want to blame another person. But God wants you to come to him today and just lay it at his feet. He wants to heal you today. And you need to let it go. Because bitterness is actually drinking the poison, but you expect some, that other person to die. And you don't want to be 80, 90 years old and you're still holding on to anger. And there are some people that are still doing that. Holding on to anger. Holding on to hatred. Blaming the other person. But you know what? It has broken down your health. It has damaged you on the inside. But God wants to set you free today from the, some of those things. Like I said, I think about my own life. Things that have even caused me to almost leave this church. Because of what? Somebody did something to me, and I just felt so damaged. I just felt so offended. I felt so angry. But I had to come to God, and I was like, God, man, please take this broken heart. Please take my anger. And you know what God would, God would do? God would send people around me to pray for me, speak healing over me, and I could just feel the Lord's healing balm come over me. And that's what God wants to do this morning is, there are some of you sitting in today still holding on to what people have done. Today, brothers and sisters, you've got to let it go. You may have been in the wrong, but you see, God will fight for you. He always does. If you read in the Bible, in Acts, there's a man named Saul. And he was breathing, breathing th threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The Lord, through his mercy and grace, rescued Saul from his sins. He became the apostle Paul who propagated the Christian faith he once tried to destroy. You see, I said before, God calls people from the womb. You know, there are things that God wants to do in and through you to touch other people. But sometimes if we're holding back, 
through bitterness and anger, it actually prevents us from moving forward to what God has for us. Do you know what I mean? I cannot stand up here and tell you about this if I've never gone through it myself. But trust me, I have. You've got to let it go. And if God can change Saul, if God can change Saul, he was breathing murderous threats to the people of God. And then God changed him, and he, is now a, he was now a powerful man, bringing people to Christ. The number one thing was he was trying to attack them, and now he's bringing them to the Lord. But that could be you today as well. God is in the business of changing lives. And you know what's the one thing is only God can change a sinful heart. Only God can change a heart full of hatred, anger, and murderous intents. This is actually why we need a Savior. This is why we need Christ. You see, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The greatest injustice of mankind turned out to be the greatest blessing for mankind as it became the means of salvation to all who will place their trust in Jesus and repent of their sins. And here is Paul saying, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You know, one thing I always say to the young students at the University of Auckland is some of them have wrong thinking when they come to me. They say, oh, sorry, I can't come to the um, Every Nation campus thing because I'm still doing this, I'm still drinking, I'm still clubbing, I'm still doing all these things. So in their mind, they have to clean their own act before they come to God for God to accept them. But over here, Paul is saying even he is the worst of sinners, God still forgave him. And there would be no hope for people who murdered if Christ didn't, came, didn't come. But he came for the worst of sinners. He came for the rapists. He came for the adulterers. He came for the murderers. He came for you and for me. He is the only hope. Through the cross, he is the only one that can wipe your slate clean, give you a new mind, give you a new heart. That can only come from Christ. Nobody can change your heart. Only God came. Only God can. And he desires for us to come to him, lay it down, and he will do the transformation in your heart. He is in the business of transforming, just like how he was in the business of forming you in your mother's womb. He knows you. He knows you more than you know yourself. And some of you are sitting in here thinking, oh, man, I've done too much to come to, to God. But that's why God brought you to church today. Because, you know, church is meant to be for those that don't know the Lord. It's not meant to be filled with all these perfect people. It's meant to be for people that don't know Christ, so that when they come in and walk in through these doors, they will have an encounter with this God. Can I please ask Sal to come up? You know, I also sense in here that some people feel that they'll never be able to change. They'll never be able to come clean before the Lord or even that God would give them a second chance. But the truth is he will. And, you know, there's a song that we always sing here at church. Um, Grace changes everything. 
And you know, when we sing this song, it really has meaning. Because it says, there's no sin too great. No pain too deep. No pain too deep. You know, when those people hurt you, the pain was deep. But the cross was able to bear it all. And so I know that there are people sitting in here that have probably been abused. People who have um, had things that were unjust happen to you. People who don't get along with other family members. They really are on your nerves. But you know what? Today is the day you need to let it go. And you need to give it to God. Don't hold that anger. Because it won't do you any good. But also come with your pain. Because God can change that. And before I finish here, I just wanted to say as well. If you die today, do you know where you will go? That is the honest truth. There is only two places. Heaven or hell. And the Bible is very clear. Man is to die once and face judgment. And when we face judgment, we will be judged according to God's law. Not according to my law. Not according to Pastor Ulu's law. According to God's law. And as we go through the commandments, you would very soon realize that all of us, we cannot match up to what God has called us to do. We, are, we have sinned before Him. And we are not right before Him. And the thing with God is He doesn't want us to play church. He doesn't want us to come in here and be all pretty and just look nice and attend the service for the sake of attending it and then go home and continue in your sinful lifestyle. That is not why we're here today. The purpose of church and the purpose of bringing this law to you is to actually tell you that there is a God who is holy and just and He will judge us for our own sin. I will be judged for what I have done. I will be judged for bringing this word. I will be judged whether I loved my enemies or whether I continue to just hate them, curse them, and spread lies about them. But here's the thing. This is what God showed me to do, particularly to the people that really damaged me and hurt me. He said, bless them. Pray for them. So that's what I continued to do. I went in the opposite spirit. I was like, God, I pray for this person. I bless them. I will so financially into them. I will continue to support them. I will love them. Why? Because that not only will bring healing to you, but that is what is going to show the love of Christ. You know, here's the thing. True love is tested when somebody offends you and when it's somebody that's close to you. And I know God is showing you people today and you need to surrender it to God. Not just surrender, but if you're sitting here today and you are not right with the Lord, today is the day for you to repent. Don't wait till things are perfect. Don't wait till it's a perfect situation, a perfect environment, and then I'm going to follow you, God. No, you come. You come as messy, dirty, and whatever it is. You come and God will heal you. God will accept you. God will clean you up and make you whole. A lot of you see me here today, but you don't know what I was like before. You just see the new fee, but you don't know what fee was like before. But that's because God has changed me. God has transformed me. And God can do the same for you. So when God is saying, do not murder, he really is talking about, let's love one another. Amen.